Hey guys, I'm Chris. Hey everybody, I'm Robert. And we're the Film Flamers. And we had so much fun playing with wood last week that we've decided to do it again. That's right. This is Maniac. That's right. From 2012, not the 1980 version. That's right. Maniac is a 2012 psychological slasher film directed by Frank Calhoun, written by Alexandra Aja and Gregory Lavasseur. The film stars Elijah Wood as a tormented serial killer, scalping women in Los Angeles shortly after the death of his mother while falling in love with a photographer played by Nora Arnazetter. The film features a Carpenter-esque score by Rob. Maniac is a remake of the 1980 film of the same name, which was directed by William Lustig, who co-produced this one. Nearly the entire film is shot from the perspective of the murderer, with his face only shown in reflections and occasionally in the third person. This proved to be challenging on a technical and narrative level for the filmmakers and the cast. Because of this, Elijah Wood had to be on set every day of filming, which is unusual. Okay, listeners, please don't scream. You're beautiful. This is Norman Dates. <laughs> I mean, maniac. <laughs> Are you an artist? I don't know about all that. Maybe you can tell me. I see you too. I have a surprise for you. Please! Help me! Please don't scream. You're so beautiful. It's amazing. I love them. Sometimes I think that they have more personality than most people. So what does your girlfriend think of your work? I, I don't have a girlfriend. You never feel lonely? That's, that's why I was calling. You and Anna are a perfect fit. You know... Hair is the only part of the body that lasts forever. Why are you scared? <laughs> what? They will never understand. As long as you keep a secret. But if you can't... You'll be alone. You hear that? A lot of you. <laughs> Alone. Frank Zito played by Elijah Wood, is a schizophrenic young man who has taken over his family's mannequin restoration business after the death of his beautiful mother. Frank was traumatized as a child due to a bad habit of often watching his mother have sex with strange men. As an adult, he murders and scalps women and attaches their hair onto his mannequins to recreate the one happy childhood memory, brushing his beautiful mother's beautiful hair. 
Frank joins a dating site where he gets a date with a woman named Lucy. The two go out for dinner and return to Lucy's apartment where she attempts to seduce the virginal Frank, mistaking his increasing panic for nervousness. Frank strangles Lucy, scalps her, and takes her hair back to his apartment where he attaches it to another mannequin. One morning, Frank awakens to find a photographer named Anna, played by Nora Arnazader, taking photos of the mannequins in his storefront. Frank invites her into his store, where she is impressed with his work restoring antique department store mannequins. The two develop a friendship, with Frank agreeing to help Anna put together an art exhibit using his mannequins. Frank falls in love with her and starts taking medication to control his violent urges. Frank, nevertheless, kills again, stabbing a young dancer to death and attaching her scalp to another mannequin. At the opening of the exhibit, Frank meets Anna's asshole boyfriend, Jason, as well as Anna's bitch art director and mentor, Rita, played by Jan Broberg. Both mock him for his interest in mannequins, questioning his sexual orientation. Recognizing his mother in Rita, Frank follows her home, subdues her in the bathtub, and hogties her on the bed. Frank voices his resentment and sense of abandonment to her, and finally scalps the bitch alive in a fit of rage. The next day, Frank calls Anna, who tearfully tells him of the untimely murder of Rita, that bitch, and of her recent breakup with Jason, that asshole. Frank comes to Anna's apartment to comfort her, but inadvertently reveals his guilt by mentioning things that only the killer would know, such as that bitch Rita's address. Realizing that Frank is the killer, Anna stabs Frank through the hand with a knife before locking herself in her bathroom. Anna's neighbor, Martin, breaks into the apartment to save her, only for Frank to kill him with a meat cleaver. Breaking down Anna's bathroom door, Frank puts her into a chokehold and knocks her unconscious. Frank loads Anna's body into his van and drives home. But as he opens the doors, Anna regains consciousness and stabs him in the stomach with a piece of rebar attached to an innocent mannequin's hand. Anna flees and is picked up by a passing car whose driver panics at the sight of a blood-covered Frank and runs him down, crashing and flinging Anna through the windshield. Bloodied, Frank hobbles to the mortally injured Anna and scalps her as she dies. Frank returns to his apartment, attaching Anna's beautiful hair to a beautiful mannequin dressed in a bridal gown. As he succumbs to his injuries, Frank suffers hallucinations of the mannequins transforming into his victims, who start to tear his body apart, finally ripping off his face to reveal a mannequin head. Before he dies, Frank sees Anna, clad in a wedding dress, lower her veil, and turn her back on him. Later that day, a SWAT team breaks into Frank's apartment, only to find Frank's corpse in his closet, alongside his collection of scalps. The end <laughs> you like that oh my god it was <laughs> i'm glad i had those fucking mimosas <laughs> yeah, that could be the most fun part of this fucking episode <laughs> yeah well we'll see Mm-hmm. A red band trailer for the film was released on May 25th, 2012, and Maniac screened at the Cannes Film Festival the following day. The film is a multinational production between French and German companies, and its release was very staggered. It opened to Germany in December 2012, with other European countries following in March of 2013. And that same month, it had its U.S. debut at North Carolina's Mad Monster Party, and the IFC Center officially released the film in New York City on June 21st, 2013. Made on a reported budget of $6 million it grossed only $31,000 in the United States due to a very small release and its subsequent availability on VOD. Worldwide, the film had a box office of a little more than $2.5 million. Yeah, I guess that would make it a 
a kind of a flop, right? Yeah, I don't think that a lot of people it didn't even make half its money, let alone any marketing. As we'll get into in this episode, I'm not quite sure that this movie is marketable to the United States. I mean, like there have been high production movies involving a lot of like gore, right? But yeah, you'd have to market it to the extremities in France. Right, exactly. And I'm certainly <laughs> going to talk about that shit. So. <laughs> Maniac has a 53% on Rotten Tomatoes with an audience score of 44%. The site's consensus reads, Shocking and bloody, Maniac is smarter than your average psychological slasher, but is often undermined by his excessive gore. After watching the film at Cannes for The Hollywood Reporter, Megan Lehman wrote, Wood's limpid saucer eyes are used here to telegraph unhinged bloodlust and insanity, even if only sporadically, as he plays a sick with mommy issues who scalps his female victims. The twist, and what helps elevate the nasty no-holds-barred maniac from the grindhouse, is the entire movie is shot from the killer's POV. It's a daring decision, potentially stripping the film of the suspense of not knowing where the killer is and inviting the audience to have empathy with him. I agree with that. Yeah, I would too. Yeah. Jeff Shannon of the Seattle Times gave the film two out of four stars and said, Frogo Baggins as a psycho killer? Why not? Scott Tobias from The Dissolve wrote, Beyond the killings, there isn't much mystery to Woods Frank. He has Norman Bates syndrome. The end. <laughs> I kind of also agree with that yeah. a little bit. I mean, I would too. I mean, I uh, as we'll get into it a little bit later too, I'm, like, I'm kind of like mixed on this movie. Although the first time I watched it, I really was not. The film does have some accolades at the Fangoria Chainsaw Awards. It won Best Actor for Elijah Wood and Best Score. At the Fright Meter Awards, it was nominated for Best Horror Movie, Best Score, and Best Cinematography, but won for Best Actor and Best Editing. Well, that's about it for the history of this movie. Do you want to get into the movie itself? Yeah, let's let's do a little bit of that. Uh, starting with the casting, right? So obviously Elijah Wood is playing a psychopath here. And ironically, not, not even ironically, but he this isn't his first time, right? He played uh, another character called Frank that was also a psychopath serial killer in Sin City. That's right. Yeah. I like Elijah Wood. A I lot do. more style with that one. Yeah, I mean, well, I don't, I mean, there's some style in this movie too, I think. No, I mean, like as far as the killer himself, right? Oh, he was yeah. like a freaking acrobatic kickboxing serial killer that <laughs> that never talked you know all you saw was his eyes it was great i have not seen that movie in quite some time but um i like elijah wood i do i mean we talked about this when we were talking about the faculty right <clears throat> i think that he's a good actor oh yeah and i really appreciate his appreciation for genre film oh yeah he he actively seeks it out he's starting to be a benefactor of horror films really yeah i mean he even had a podcast for a while that was on like the shutter network oh. i think and i mean he he has a deep appreciation level for for horror films and genre films and i think he brings a good like you know level of acting to these movies that he chooses to do yeah the director frank calfoon was talking about elijah wood and he said he has this good guy sort of package usually an actor's baggage can hurt your character but he really is just this good guy sort of persona so i couldn't wait to turn him into a horrible beast <laughs> i think for his fans it's shocking too and it adds to the shock value of the film i mean do you agree with that i mean i know elijah wood I have to say, always does a good job. Yeah. He's never like the call-out performance. I, I don't think ever he has been, really. Maybe except for what, when he was a tiny little child in Radio Flyer, mm -hmm. people were talking about it. But you know what? He's just always, always good. 
You know, he's never like the highest performance, you know, that's talked about. Like even in Lord of the Rings, it was like what's Sean, Astin. Sean Astin, you know, and a couple of obviously Ian McKellen and a number of others. But he did great. He carried all three of those films, you know, but no one really talked about it because he's so naturalistic. You know, I just think he does a really, really great job and he he does a great job and is believable in whatever he tries to do. He's run the gamut, really, you know, and he did a good good job here. I thought it was well cast. I think that's especially true of the faculty as well. I mean, yeah. I don't know if we talked about that in that movie, but he he carries that movie as sort of like one of the main-ish characters, right? But he he does a good job at supporting everyone else around him that I mean, it it, it does seem natural to your point, right? And in this movie we don't have a whole lot of FaceTime with Elijah Wood because it's told from his POV. And the times that we do get to see him, I think, are especially striking or jarring because they do it in just the right the right spaces yeah. in this movie, right? I kind of like the POV aspect of this. And I, I know that's something that we'll probably bring up when we talk about like style or something like that. But the the female lead in this movie... Nora Arnazetter. I mean, she she's playing a she has a French accent in this movie. I don't know anything about this actress. I don't know if she's actually French or not. I believe so. Um, but I mean, she has this like really every girl quality in this movie, right? Yeah, she was great. Casting is not a problem this movie has. No, not at all. No, I everything mean, was well well cast, and it's kind of a limited cast too. I no, mean, it is, and everyone looks very different and has different personalities, including all the victims. That's true. I remember the first one with the curly hair, you know, and of course the dancer. They were all great, you mm-hmm. know. They all did a great job. I think one of the most memorable victims in this movie is Lucy, the one that he meets from the dating website, right? Played by Megan M. Duffy. Um, yeah. Because he gets a lot of like time with her and a lot of curly conversation hair. with God, her. I'm talking about them like I'm the serial killer. <laughs> <laughs> You're just ready to scalp them like curly right Curly hair, lustrous hair, and <laughs> blonde hair. <laughs> But he gets to like spend some time with the character of Lucy because they go to have dinner and you're sort of like watching from his perspective on this very awkward date they're having. Yeah, she just wants sex. Yeah, she just wants to get laid, yeah. you know? I mean, and if you're on a dating website, I mean, like, come on. I mean, isn't that... And he's kind of a gentleman about it because she's like, do you want to invite me up or whatever? And she gets punished for it, right? It's mm-hmm. like this 80s slasher trope yet again, you know? Yeah. And this is a remake of an 80s slasher movie. Which I have not seen, but you have. Yes. So, I I mean, I saw Maniac back in my, like, video store days when I was a teenager because the, the cover of the, the video box is just, like, a man... You, you only see from, like, the waist down. He's wearing jeans. He's holding a knife and, like, a, a scalp in his hand, right? Okay. And this is something that I pass by all the time. And I was just like, you know what? I'm just going to fucking watch this movie. Do you feel like this movie owes more to its... Um you know, the original maniac or more to like, say like peeping Tom. I I mean, I feel like peeping Tom has a whole POV thing going for it as well. Yeah. Right. But it's sort of like through a viewfinder, right. This is sort of like living inside the head yeah. of a killer. You and know? then, yeah. And there's some, some quotes coming up from the director about that too. I feel like this movie is, is an homage to, to many different kinds of slasher movies. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, cause even, even some like slashers like Friday the 13th or Halloween to a point, like show you the killer's POV. Right. And this is something that every slasher movie sort of has at some point in it. Yeah. A little know? bit. Well, back to the director, he actually mentioned something about the POV and he said, the point of view has been a movie since peeping Tom, but no horror film has ever really been entirely shot that way. I wanted the audience to feel trapped in his body. The cinema plays a big part in that concept since you are stuck in your seat, forced to experience the events with little control over the outcome. Much like Frank is stuck in his body, you are therefore at the same time complicit and repulsed. Therein lies the horror. I mean, I appreciate that from an artistic point 
you know, but I mean, you're, you're not really stuck anyway. Yeah. I, I, the more I read about this and the more quotes I, I see, like it, it feels like this was a very much a technical driven idea, niche kind of idea driven movie mm-hmm. versus a story driven or character driven movie. Like I want to do this whole thing in POV. I want to like force the audience to kind of experience this. It's the nauseating horror I'm going for. He goes on to say, you know, uh, the audience members actually vomited and fainted. And he took the reactions as a compliment, explaining, we had screening here in Los Angeles and somebody passed out, which I pat myself on the back for. The movie had to creep on you. It's a different kind of fear. It's more of a nauseating fear. You really have the opportunity to feel the nausea of committing crime rather than glorifying it just for the aspect of fun and thrill. The audience gets to experience for the first time how sick it is to commit a murder. We are certainly not condoning it, but making a real statement about serial killers. I don't know how much I agree with that. I think I, I see what he was going for, just truly. But I feel like this this movie can attract the wrong kind of audience. I completely agree with you. I don't know how much I agree with that. I mean, I, I feel like if you're a filmmaker making a horror movie and you, you're going for a different style, like shooting something completely in POV and you're going to be as over-the-top gory and have as much violence as possible, I mean, I... I I think it's kind of hard to go and say, we're making a statement. We're not condoning it. We're trying to make you feel sick about it. But the kind of people like myself who watched this movie and really enjoyed that POV aspect of it, right? I mean, it's just like, this movie's kind of made for horror fans anyway. Like some layperson is not going to go and just watch Maniac and, I mean, not feel sick by it, I guess. I don't know. I think I, I feel like I'm talking in circles. Yeah, I don't. I didn't feel sick for it. I think it depends on the audience member. It's going to shock a certain number of people that aren't really horror fans or certainly aren't gore fans, right? And this isn't the goriest movie in the world. Like, I've seen way worse, yeah. you know, and it doesn't have anything that really bothers me so much. You know, for me, it's like burning and some things. For you, it's like fingernails and broken bones. You oh know, like everyone has their thing. This isn't cutting with a knife isn't really my thing. And it's not certainly very new. And I've seen more, you know, which brings us kind of to, to the themes. Right. And I feel like the POV could have been justified by some sort of, you know, theme or message or something a little bit stronger than what we got. Right. And all I got was basically like the old 80s trope. Sex is bad. Mm -hmm. You know, Frank suffers from PTSD and schizophrenia due to his mother's lasciviousness. (laughs) And I mean, the original is sort of the same thing, too. I mean, this man in in Lustig's version from 1980 is, you know, sort of suffering the same kind of trauma, past trauma of seeing his mother like have sex with random people. And, you know, his entire life was her. And so he, he starts murdering women. I think this movie takes it to a, a different place because he is literally killing women that he's very much attracted to. Mm-hmm. And in the original, some of it kind of just feels at random. Like he grabs weapons and he's ready to go out to kill someone, you know, like a real serial killer would do. I feel like this Frank 2012 Frank is only murdering women that he feels some sort of like sexual attraction, right? He stalks them a lot. Yeah, his his whole sexual attraction is kind of tied up with his memories of his mother, right. which is the whole PTSD, you know, schizophrenia thing. You know, and so he really like kind of falsely ties that whole thing. He's taking their hair because he he only has that one memory of his mother, you know, one good memory of brushing her hair, you know, presumably before she goes out and meets a John. Right. You know, which also didn't really line up for me plot wise because it's supposed to like, you know, lose that she's like a sex worker, Mm -hmm. um, which personally, I believe that sex work is real work. Yeah, I agree. You know, but, you know, at the same time, it's trying to say that this is like a family passed down business. 
right? Which leads me to believe that his mother was, you know, before his dad was out of the picture, at least owns this business as a mannequin restoring company, right? So it's just like, it doesn't really line up. Something's missing. And I feel like that might've been in the first movie, but maybe not. Yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't remember that part being a, a huge part of the movie about like the business, right? Because I mean, in the original one, he doesn't meet Anna outside his business. It's not so much about mannequins. He puts the hair on the mannequins in the original, but I mean, he doesn't, yeah. Yeah. But in this one, he's really creating these things to replicate the women that he's murdered. Maybe her, you know, maybe the mannequin business was struggling back then and she was like doing a side hustle with her <laughs> vagina. I don't know. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> I mean, I, I also didn't get that she was a prostitute in this movie. Yeah. So the original synopsis, like if you look at Wikipedia, it says she is a sex worker and that she forced him to watch. None of that is in the movie. So I completely erased it for our synopsis because it wasn't there. And rightfully so. I mean, like, we shouldn't have said that because there was no exchange of money or anything like that. I, I get the idea that she was a single mother. Yeah. And, you know, she liked to party maybe and enjoyed sex. And there's also nothing wrong with that, too. Right. Yeah. I mean, maybe know where your kid is before you're having sex or whatever. <laughs> but I mean, I mean, I don't know. I, I feel like they sort of like glossed over the trauma on this. And didn't explain it very well. They just had, they wanted to have some more shocking scenes yeah. of, of a kid from a POV standpoint of was, watching your mother have yeah. sex. It was kind of like shock for the sake of shock. And yeah. that's basically the construction of this movie, right? And in and, and the director's own words, mm-hmm. you want to do a POV and put you in the uncomfortable skin of a serial killer and make nausea horror, so to, so to say, whatever he said, right? And that leads me to the big question about this movie, which is so what, Right. Way back when, in like advanced English classes, you know, I remember my like AP English teacher being like, so what, so what, so what, you know, in any kind of paper we wrote, any kind of story we would, you know, critique or anything like that, you know, from Nathaniel Hawthorne to Robert Frost, you know, okay. we'd have to answer that question. So what in our own papers? And I, I'm really struggling for a so what in this movie, right? There's very little character journey here. Almost no character, really no character at all besides life and death goes through any kind of journey, including the serial killer. There's no journey. He just succumbs to his wounds Mm -hmm. that he could have sustained at any point during the movie. Right. There's nothing to latch on here as far as any kind of so what. And that's, I think, the problem with this movie for me, because I don't mind seeing all this stuff. I'm not that uncomfortable. I think it's a little bit it was creative and executed well. But for me, there is no so what to this story whatsoever. There's not really entertainment value in some of that violence. There's no shock value really in it because it's so matter of fact and and kind of slowly paced. You know, it's to me, it just didn't really have any meaning. And I, I completely agree with the things that you're saying. I mean, because I when the first time I watched this movie, I was I was very taken aback by it. And I really I really enjoyed it. And I still do for lots of different reasons. The music is a big part of that for me. So like we said earlier, um, the the composer goes simply by Rob whenever he has, is composing scores. But his name is, is what, Chris? Uh, Robin Coudere, I guess. You know, and and bloody disgusting. Even judge the music to be one of the best parts of the film. And Screen International wrote that the eighty style synth score is actually reminiscent of John Carpenter, which is a really good, you know, compliment. And the score is great. I, I need to go back and look at some of the top ten that I made for um, our our episode on top ten horror scores. I think I may have listed this in an honorable mentions part because because yeah, yeah. it's a really good score. It's fun. I mean, like I I listen to this often. 
but the music is great. And so, so was, I mean, a lot of the direction and style of this movie, but I'm also a huge fan of the new French extremity, right? I mean, there's some of my most favorite international horror movies. And we're talking about movies like martyrs or high tension, right? Which um, he also directed. Yeah. I mean, so Alexandra Aja to me is just an amazing the producer director, director I guess. Yeah. 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 And uh, I mean, people like Gaspar Noé, right, with Irreversible. And I mean, I, I think these movies are great. Climax, I just, yeah, yeah I, I, Climax especially is really good. I feel like the movies that are made in France have a little bit more of a message behind their gore, right? And mm-hmm. they, they do a better job of storytelling and asking and answering, so what, right? And I, I'm not quite sure that American audiences are ready for that sort of thing. It's French extremity with a German accent. Yeah. <laughs> but arg- but like targeted toward Americans. Yeah. This is an English-speaking movie. It's more of know? a statement piece without really stating much. You exactly. Know I mean? it's, it's less of a journey and a story, really. It's, it's almost like just vignettes, you know? And mm-hmm. that's the problem I have with it. There's no really so what. It, you know, I, I can almost contrast this with The Strangers, right? Because there's a motive that's just you answered the door, you know? And there's, there's like a horror there that's just like this reckless hatred, this reckless violence that's just random. There's a horror there, right? And this kind of has a horror to it too, but The Strangers tells a story. The characters go on a journey, you know, and and just as reckless as that is and horrifying and on one of the scariest movies that I've still seen to this day, you know, Maniac doesn't hold, hold really a candle to it because there is no journey. I mean, that's true. I mean, you, you are absolutely right. I mean, like, I think that when I talked about homage, in this movie, I mean, they they really do play a lot of like 80s slasher homage because every kill is very different. Every kill is special, right? And they they tried at least with the women and the way that he does it a little bit. They they try to be a little special, but still looking through someone's eyes, you're just watching some man scalp someone and then having a flashback of his mom having you know rough sex in an alley. <laughs> and <laughs> I mean, like it really is like. You don't have to piece together anything. It's all shown to you. And I mean, a lot of it just doesn't land, I guess. Yeah. Well, before we say goodbye to talking about the themes, we should actually say goodbye horses. <laughs> oh my God. They did play that song in that movie, didn't they? Yeah. Was that during his date with Lucy? Was I don't there? know. I think he was playing it in his apartment or something. I don't know. <laughs> maybe she, I know. Yeah. I think she was playing it in her apartment. She was like, do you want to play some music? And she turned on a record. Goodbye horses. <laughs> little ominous there. Silence of the Lambs. <laughs> Oh my God! Calm down with the homage, Calhoun. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, this is no strangers, and this is no Silence of the Lambs. Calm down. <laughs> you need to calm down. Stable those hairs to those mannequins. <laughs> <laughs> to me, them. that was the grossest part. Like not even the scalping, just like stapling the wet ass hair to those mannequins, and just like seeing the blood dribble down the mannequin faces that was the grossest part to me i'm like it's so ugly like you're you're obsessed with like the beauty of hair why aren't you like brushing it and making it look pretty that there's like this mop of bloody hair on top of these fucking mannequins i mean because he doesn't really care at the end of the day my ocd kicking in for even for steel (laughs) (laughs) he just wants to have that mannequin in his bed the grossest part to me is every time he comes home and goes to his bedroom i mean like obviously those you better do a set and curl before you go to bed There's all these flies and shit, and you know it's got to stink in that fucking bedroom. It's got raid in there, just like at the ready on this right. like nightstand. Right. <laughs> That's so nasty. I can't imagine living like that. So, I mean, listeners, you know that we're not serial killers because Chris doesn't have a set and curl thing in his house, and I just am not going to live with that amount of bugs. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> well, I have one fun fact for you. One? Yeah. 
<laughs> so yeah, I just thought it was a little funny. So uh, Anna gets worried about the recently attacked females uh, while standing in front of her retro shoes sign. And uh, because she's standing in front of the S, it says hose. And she's talking about it. <laughs> I did not notice this. <laughs> What about all those women and just those hoes? <laughs> what is the message this movie's trying to give us about I don't sex? know. I, don't, I mean, the more that I think about it now, I'm not quite sure it has one. <laughs> oh I'm so wrong. I have got to stop telling you, you have to watch these movies because then I watch them with you. And then I'm like, so what? <laughs> Okay, well, we have some questions to ask about Maniac 2012, like we do about every movie we deep dive into here on the Film Flamers. And we're going to start with the most obvious question. <laughs> is Maniac a horror movie? Yes. Yeah, I know. I mean, clearly. What else are, is it? People are getting scalped. It's a comedy. It's a home video. <laughs> I mean, hose. I mean, come on. <laughs> it's America's funniest home video. Oh, no. <clears throat> okay, so were you scared while watching Maniac? No, not really. No. Yeah, I mean, like, I like gory, violent movies. Like, I've I've said that before on this podcast. And I like them because it scares me more than things like ghosts, you know? I mean, like, Mm -hmm. yes, a very effective jump scare and, like, a ghost or haunted house kind of movie is effective. But I am repulsed by by violence on screen especially when it's like there's some good foley work you know what i mean like i really don't like it yeah and so i i I, I seek these movies out and i can sort of find a message sometimes when i watch these movies this really isn't one of them but um i mean i just i think they're scary so i'm pretty sure the first time i watched this movie i was probably terrified Mm. so but not this last watch so out of five stars what would you rate maniac 2012 well this movie kept me on a knife's edge between intrigue and boredom so i ended up giving it a three originally when i first watched this movie i gave it four stars uh upon this rewatch i have lowered that to three and a three and a half so i've taken it down half a star yeah um i mean just because i found it less shocking on the second watch maybe this is just a one-time watch movie well it's novel you know it's technically well done it's well acted everything's executed very very well Mm -hmm. you know it's just that the so what for me you know and um i felt that kind of most of the way through the movie a little, you know, and especially at the end where there really was no, you know, the only thing that would have made it worse if he doesn't die at the end, yeah. you know? And so I, it was good enough on a technical merit and acting merit and, you know, and as a, as a whole, you know, but it, it just doesn't really, it doesn't really prove its existence, you know, prove its worth, you know, as any kind of challenge to me to think, you know, about, any kind of journey or characterization or anything really besides trying just to get me nauseous. And it didn't do that because I have a really strong stomach when it comes to gore and horror, I guess. But I wouldn't even say this is that challenging for, for even people that are hate gore. I don't know. I, yeah. Just, it's I mean, hard for I, me. Don't, I don't think it's bad. I think like the one, the one challenging thing is the POV part of it. Right. I Maybe. mean, I, I think that we've seen where some other movies, like you said earlier, and <clears throat> I mean, like on this particular watch, as we're watching it together, I kept thinking the whole time I was like, there are other extremity movies, actual French extremity movies that I know you haven't seen that I'd rather you be watching at that particular moment, you know? And so I'm just like, okay. I felt like it was kind of conceptual in the POV too. Like the, he, he really makes some, he makes some assumptions about how people view POV. And like, for me, I never thought I was trapped in the killer's body. I just thought it was a way of filming, you know? And it was, it was interesting. 
Yeah. You know, but I never felt like I was the killer or that I was trapped in the killer's body or anything like that. I never felt that once. Well, and I think the reason that you felt that way. Just like Evil Dead. I never thought I was like the evil wind going after Bruce Campbell. You know what I mean? Like it doesn't work that way. But we're also people who watch horror movies frequently, right? And so if somebody were to pick up Maniac who don't normally watch movies with that level of violence or having been exposed to POV of a killer before, it, it could be off-putting, right? I feel like it would actually be more personable, like from a filmmaking perspective, if you're over the shoulder, right? If you have like the, a little bit of a head in the shoulder, oh. you feel like more like you're with that person or even accomplice mm-hmm. versus if you're showing, you know, you're still just looking at the full frame of the victim, you know, which you would be anyway, you know? So that's... That's how I feel like I would have maybe done it a little bit different is to do it a little bit more over the shoulder. I feel like you just fixed the fucking movie with just one (laughs) word. I mean, like POV is one thing. You're like, we want you to feel like you're the killer, maybe create some empathy or maybe be repulsed. But just saying the word accomplice really makes you implicit in what you're watching, which makes a horror movie completely different. That's fucking brilliant. Well, thank you. Take that, Cal (laughs) Remake this movie again. Uh, Do you see yourself running off to watch the original anytime soon? No. (laughs) It's good. I feel like it's, I think it's almost required viewing of people, especially if you like slasher movies. I think got worse ratings than this one. Yeah. I mean, like I, I, this is, I mean, 1980 when this came out, I feel like people were trashing a lot of slashers and like they were just calling it gratuitous violence and blah, 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 you know, and, and it was, but, um, I think it's definitely worth a watch. They both are really. So finally, and maybe difficult to ask for this movie, who's the hottest guy in Maniac? That neighbor guy. Oh, the gay neighbor? Yeah, the gay neighbor. Martin? Yeah. Martin was played by Joshua de la Garza. Yeah, he was really hot. I was going back and forth, but I mean, I didn't want to say Elijah Wood because you don't really get to see him very often in this movie. And when you do, he doesn't look that attractive. There's not a lot of bros in this movie. Mm-mm. No. So, I mean, the, the gay neighbor is probably the hottest, if not those two guys that are on the street at the very beginning trying to get that girl into a limo. But they seem kind of rapey and douchey, so I don't want to make that choice. You're right. Mm. It's a gay neighbor. Slim Pickens. Yeah. Well, I think that just about wraps up our conversation on Maniac 2012 and the end of our season of Wood. We want to know if you've seen this movie and what you think about it. You can find us and tell us on social media over at the Film Flamers on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. You can email us at tiredqueens at filmflamers.com or you can call our hotline. At 972-666-7733. Don't scream. You're beautiful. <laughs> Call the Norman Dates hotline. <laughs> Hot mannequins with hog body are waiting. <laughs> Don't touch my scalp. <laughs> Do you want to curl and set? <laughs> All good. We have a little bit more wood to give you. That's right. Over on patreon.com slash the film flamers, you can go and check out our bonus episode of The Good Son as voted by our patrons. That's right. Starring Elijah Wood and Macaulay Culkin. Also, if you like this episode or any of our past episodes, head over to Apple Podcasts or iTunes. Leave us a five-star review, a little bit why you like us, and we'll read that on Shooting the Flames. It's been a minute since we've gotten one. Well, Robert, I need a wash and set. (laughs) And I feel like I need a new scalp. 
Maybe yours. Hmm. Do you want to go have some sweet dreams? He's a maniac, maniac on the streets. And he's scalping like he's never scalped before. Must be scouts on the brain. (laughs) (laughs) Goodbye, horses. I'd fuck Um, me, would you fuck me? (laughs) I'm going to scalp you. (laughs) That's enough.